0: Blog Talk Radio. Do you watch Fox News all day? Are you dizzy from conservative spin? Are you a birther or teabagger? You might be suffering from a condition called barachnophobia. If so, the only cure is Liberal Dan Radio. Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on Blog Talk Radio. Warning Liberal Dan Radio is not a substitute for doctor's advice. Severe cases of arachnophobia may require psychiatric help. This may prove expensive if Republicans repeal health care. Listening to Liberal Dan Radio may cause you to embrace things like facts, logic, and reason. If these symptoms last for more than four hours, you have been cured. For more information, go to LiberalDan.com. Welcome back to Liberal Dane Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming from New Orleans, Louisiana. To so join the conversation, it's area code 347-838-8368. That is area code 347-838-8368. Or you can join us in the chat room and ask questions there, or connect via the Skype button in the chat room. Or if you're listening after the live broadcast, you could always leave your comments, questions, and concerns over on Liberaldan.com. Several things to talk about today. We have some uh, more information about, you know, more goings-on in the presidential election. We have, obviously, lots of stuff to talk about there. And we also have the Supreme Court opening and uh, things that are happening there, too. Uh, Briefly, in this week's headlines, uh, the Fifth Circuit Court is at it again in Louisiana. This time, it allowed a Louisiana law to take effect. That closes all but one abortion clinic in the state of Louisiana. The court's decision was based on the premise that, it didn't, that the ruling didn't place an undue burden on a large fraction of women. One clinic in the entire state of Louisiana. Yeah, that's not an undue burden at all. Morons. In culture news, Facebook just added new reactions to posts. For years, users have been clamoring for a dislike button. So users got a smiley face, a laughing face, a crying face, and an angry face no thumbs down or a dislike button. Way to go, Facebook. In pop culture news, or entertainment news, uh, singer Kesha uh, was recently denied a preliminary injunction uh, to the enforcement of her contract in a court case where she claims that she was, over the course of 10 years, abused emotionally, physically, and sexually by her producer that signed her uh, when she was 18 years old. Uh, And of the internet went crazy in support of Kesha and trying to suggest that, you know, that she's a slave, but, you know, courts typically don't make rulings without all the facts. So uh, while I'm definitely, is the, is the opinion of liberal band radio that if Kesha was abused uh, and there is irreparable harm done to the relationship that she should most likely be let out of the contract if she can prove to the court that it was more likely than not that she was uh, abused in some form form or fashion by her producer. However, do not believe that it is correct to say that she is a slave or something uh, just because of the fact that the court denied an injunction on enforcement before discovery is even finished. So I'm sure there are people who are going to, not like that, but tough. You know, we have a legal system for both civil and criminal matters for this purpose. The legal system is not supposed to act before it hears all the facts. That's as simple as that. Anyway, so this Fifth Circuit Court ruling, so I want to discuss that a little bit before we get to the main, main other topics of the show It's an issue that I've discussed on the show before. It's basically the ruling that uh, – it's basically law that includes provisions that require doctors who work at abortion clinics to have admitting privileges in local hospitals. So that's stupid because if a procedure gets bad – And needs emergency, and the woman needs emergency care because something happened, then you call 911, you get an ambulance, the ambulance brings the the patient to the emergency room, and the emergency room doctor, if needed, will admit the patient to the hospital. It is really just that simple. But for some reason, well, we know the reason, but Republicans just, want to, you know, have government all up in the badge, even small government, except for when it comes to women's bodies, then government needs to be oppressive, as oppressive as possible. So, what to talk about today. Let's let's start off with um, Supreme Court. Obama has many options. Of course, the senators, the Republican Senate, Mitch McConnell has basically come out and said that no action will be t- will take place on a supreme court nomination until after the next presidency begin term the next presidential term begins so what does that mean that means that you know the republicans are pigheaded and stupid at least the senatorial ones um it means that they're hypocrites because these people were previously saying that Every presidential nomination deserves a, quote, up or down vote. And it means that they could potentially pass them somebody that they would otherwise nominate or accept just because it's Obama's. Now, again, I'm more than happy to allow them for them to do this. If they want to put a big highlight, a big spotlight on their obstruction and let this be the exclamation point at the end of eight years of Republican obstruction, in the Senate, and in the House, then they are more than welcome to do that. They're more than welcome to prove that to the nation, that this is why things can't get done. It's not Obama's fault. It's the Republicans' fault. So I'm more than happy to have them highlight this. And it will be the longest by maybe even double will go from a vacancy in the Supreme Court to a Filling of that vacancy. So, who should get picked? There are a lot of names being thrown around. One of the names that I believe should be thought of, and this is I actually learned something new today or this week when it comes to the you know, retired Supreme Court justices, Sandra Day O'Connor. Is a justice was a justice, and so she resigned. Her husband was dying. She wanted to go take care of her dying husband, so she resigned, and she was in her, you know, her. She got her spot got replaced. Things you may not know about the situation is that she still retains her full salary. She still retains an office with staff and a clerk. She actually also has been serving as a visiting judge uh, on district and appellate level cases. So she's been working as a judge. This former Supreme Court justice has been working as a judge ruling on cases through today. I don't know know if she works today specifically, but she has been working on cases. So she's not, Hasn't gone away. So one thing I would like to see Obama do is nominate Sandra Day O'Connor. I guess it's probably might be better to say renominate Sandra Day O'Connor. Because I would love to see the Republicans in the Senate block Obama. From renominating a Reagan appointee to the Supreme Court. That's right. Ronald Reagan appointed Sandra Day O'Connor to the Supreme Court. Obama could renominate her to fill that slot. Maybe the term wouldn't take wouldn't take long. Maybe she might serve for a couple of years and then des- decide to finally want to fully retire. I mean, I've, I've seen you know pictures of her. Whatever she looks like, she's actually doing better than Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, She was kind of a swingy vote too. Um, She wasn't completely liberal in all things. Uh, She has been critical of the Republicans in the Senate, which could potentially throw a wrench in her nomination, but they've said they're not going to let anybody through. But I just want to see Republicans saying, no, we are not going to allow... Ronald Reagan, one of Ronald Reagan's appointees, back to the bench because that would just be just hilarious. Because they uphold Ronald Reagan as being Saint Ronald. He is the cream of the crop in their eyes, even though their memories of him don't actually mesh up perfectly to the reality of him. But they still love him, and he could do no wrong. They don't care that he gave. Millions of people here against our border laws, amnesty. It's fine to them, and he put Senator O'Connor to the Supreme Court, and Obama could replace her back onto the Supreme Court if he wanted to, and if they allowed it to do happen, and it would just—I would love to cover that. I would love to cover them. I would love to hear them explain why they wouldn't allow a Reagan appointee back on the bench. That would be hilarious. It would be really funny. But, interesting enough, one of the people who is being discussed is Nevada Republican Governor Brian Sandoval. Um, that, that is being suggested um That he would be somebody who would replace, who could replace Scalia. Now, anybody who is to the left of Scalia is preferable over Scalia. I'll just say that for a fact. And it looks like it doesn't. They didn't qualify. It's like, well, if Obama discusses with us and we have an idea as to what we want to do, or, or or if we feel that we've had enough say in it that we might, you know, go ahead and actually support this guy then maybe, just maybe, we'll support the guy. But they haven't said that. They said nobody. They're not going to let Obama name him. But since he's being, to me, it seems like an odd pick from, you know, from from the start, I look at nominating a Republican governor. It just seems to me to be wacky on his face. But let's look at his positions. Let's look and see what he says. Okay, on gay marriage, Sandoval personally believes it's uh, between a man and a woman, but has not actively opposed it. And he has, after the Supreme Court ruling, said that the matter has been settled by the courts. Now, do I believe that? I have no reason to. I mean, I I, I can believe that that's his stated position. I have no reason to believe that somebody who is a Republican who is going to be on the court would say I have no reason to believe that what they say that something is settled law, that it's settled law. Alito during his confirmation hearings about stereo decisis and how items are settled law. And that was one of the one of his, you know, things. I believe in settled law, I believe in settled law. Well, no, because he's flipped on that issue since then. So, I mean, anybody could potentially flip at any time, but somebody saying that something is settled law to me, does it necessarily mean that I believe that it actually is going to be settled law if they are serving on the Supreme Court. Abortion. Uh, Sandoval's stance on abortion is similar to that gay marriage. He doesn't personally support it, but he believes it should be a woman's choice. Now, that's a little different than gay marriage because gay marriage, he says he's not going to oppose it actively. Him stating that he believes it should be a woman's choice is is a little bit better. I have no problems with people who personally won't have an abortion. I'm, you know, if Sandoval says that he never wants to have an abortion, he's more than welcome to never have an abortion in his life. He, so if he supports the idea that women have body autonomy, that's right, but it's not just about abortion. That's it. abortion is the uh, is a minor, you know. It, it's not a minor thing, but it, it's whether or not he's pro-choice or allow believe women to have a choice is one small part of it. It's you have laws like you know what they did in Louisiana, um, how they want to make sure that doctors have admitting privileges. You could be, I guess, you could claim that you believe that, you know, there should be a right to have an abortion while still supporting laws that further the cause of the anti-choice movement, which is to restrict them. Um, And that's not good. I don't don't agree with the Louisiana-Louisiana law. And I really don't know. At this point in time, if uh, Sandoval believes in such things, Um, let's see. According to the article on the Las Vegas Review Journal, um, Republicans have taken over the House and the legislature. Um, They want parental notification. Uh, Let's see what else do they want. Abortion set of law in Louisiana. Um, Bell initiative upholds in Nevada's right to have an abortion even if Supreme Court is over or even if Roe v. Wade is overturned. So, Nevada actually has a law, um, that actually protects abortion even without Roe, which is good, but I don't necessarily think that that's happened, uh, during Sandoval's term. Um so during his first government, government tour run one in 2010, Sandoval expressed support for print notification on his campaign website on the issues which tracks politicians' views. Sandoval spokeswoman Marie St. Martin said any support depends on the final wording of the legislation. Um, so, I guess he could potentially support it. Um Look up Sandoval if I can find it. If there is anything on Sandoval with admitting privileges for abortions and see if he, you know, supports that or not, but we'll come back in a second. Undocumented immigrants, Sandoval approved legislation allowing those in country illegally to obtain Nevada's driver authorization cards and drive legally. Uh, generally speaking, Sandoval um, supports that's a very bad typo here. Sandoval, medical marijuana supports pass the legal status for undocumented immigrants. So, you know, he's, I guess he's more progressive than not there. I mean, there are, um, you know, conservatives aren't going to like that he supports that, uh, that the legally get driver authorization cards. But the problem is, is that you want to allow people to be insured. If the people who are not here legally are actually, um not able to get insurance, then it, it's a problem to the rest of the drivers who are here legally and maybe don't have uninsured motorists. The idea of uninsured motorists to me is is a crock just because you should be insured regardless of the, and if, if your insurance should cover uninsured motorists, you shouldn't have to get an extra addendum on your insurance or I have to know to get that um, Sandoval signed a bill a lot on medical marijuana. And have also approved a bill on a judge to oppose extra sentences on those who commit crimes against victims of who are transgendered. Um, those tax increases. Um he has tax incentives. Uh he vetoed a bill that would have required universal background checks, so that so he's so he's more pro gun than perhaps a liberal might like. Quote, school choice. Um program pays fifty one hundred annually to students choosing to leave public school for private or home school. Um yeah. Uh federal lands. Um Sandoval hasn't said whether he supports reduction to federally controlled land. But anyway, so he seems to be a fairly middle of the road, moderate type uh conservative in a state, you know, that has a, currently a um that currently has a Democratic Senator. I don't know if it will continue to have a Democratic Senator after Reed leaves. Um, but I'm not I'm not seeing anything that I can find. I'm finding a combination of articles um, you know, on a page that have Both the discussion, a discussion of there's a link, it's a discussion of Sandoval with a link to the appellate court ruling by the Fifth Circuit. So I can't really find to see if he supports that silly law in Louisiana or would support that law or the constitutionality of that law. So it doesn't seem like he would be all that horrible. It seems like he might be somebody who would be an improvement to the court. However, I can't say that it's somebody that, you know, if they're going to block his nominations, block his nominations, go for somebody with that where it, it hurt. I don't know. Does it, the, I guess the idea is does it hurt the Republicans more if they block somebody who, you know, you could make a political argument out of it? Like, you know. He, if Obama nominates, uh, three, um, let's see, what is his full name again? I don't remember off the top of my head what his name is, but it's one of the DC appellate judges. Um, Sri Srinivasan, Sri Srinivasan. I'll probably have to get used to say it a lot. If he gets nominee, um, he was somebody who was appointed, uh, some people believe that he, that Ceresa could also break that supposedly blockade. He was confirmed by the Senate in a 97-0 to zero vote. Um, he is, quote, balanced, uh, and according to this article, and he actually was described by Ted Cruz as a, quote, old friend. Um, and people believe that his nomination could be seen, you know, as whether or not they're actually going to obstruct or not. So, um, he was born in India. He migrated with his family to the U.S. in the late 18 late 18, 1960s. He graduated from Stanford. Lectured at Harvard. Uh, out of his lawyer, his one of his most high-profile cases was the defense of Jeffrey Jeffrey Skilling, a former Enron executive. Now people will say, "Oh, he defended an Enron executive." Well, here's the deal. As I've said before, everybody who is accused of a crime has the right to defense. And defense attorneys play a vital role in the system. So if anybody is going to step up with this against Sri Srin- Srinivasan and say that he shouldn't be picked because he defended Skilling, I will be very vocal in opposition to that point. Um, as solicitor, Deputy Solicitor General of the United States, he's argued 25 cases before the Supreme Court. Um, he was nominated to the U.S. Court of Appeals for District of Columbia Circuit, as was confirmed in 2013 by a 97-0 vote. So if Sri Srinivasan, I'm going to butcher that name the entire time, is nominated, Republicans are going to have to basically explain why, after approving him a 97 nothing vote, why they're unwilling to consider him now, according to this article. Um, uh, basically, if it... as according to this Edward Falone, Associate Law Professor at Marquette University Law School. uh, He's an excellent candidate. Uh, His current position on the court handles many cases involving administrative actions, his previous approval by the Senate, and his service under both Democratic and Republican administrations, and the historic importance of appointing the first Asian American to the Supreme Court. Uh, It will erase any arguments as to the merit of his nomination and reveal that if the Senate is being obstructionist, Period. So basically, if this guy is appointed, there's no reason why he shouldn't be approved um, if that's who Obama chooses to pick. And if the Republicans do block him, then you're going to know that the Republicans are being idiots. Um, Let's see. He clerked for former Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. He was described by Ted Cruz as being an old friend. He has been criticized by environmental groups for cases in which he defended oil giant ExxonMobil and the mining company Rio Tinto, hardly typical left wing causes, according to the article. Um, he has as good a chance as anyone if confirmed unanimously by the Senate. Tim Cruz seems to like him if I had to guess that say president would nominate three or a senator, is what somebody else is saying. So that's one guy that could be chosen. Um, now, he seems like a, you know, a purely consensus pick just because of the fact that Senate gave consensus to his nomination previously. But is is Sandoval a more of a consensus pick because he's a Republican, he's a governor? Maybe. Uh what does it does does is Obama nominating somebody else? Let's for giggles. Say, let's say Obama nominated Bill Clinton he nominated Bill Clinton to the Supreme Court, what, you know, that would be, you know, obviously that you'd expect Republicans to obstruct Bill Clinton. So it's really nothing new. Um, If Obama nominated Eric Holder, you know, you might expect them to block Eric Holder because of the hatred that that they had for Eric Holder. If they nominated but with three, you have the option where he is a minority, is a a legal immigrant, you have a situation where he is you know, was well liked and seems you know, I I don't know how he's ruled in other cases. I know he you know, I don't know how he how he feels about issues of abortion and stuff like that. You know if this really depends. It's hard to really say because you have a situation where if Obama supports a very liberal justice, then you could maybe understand the Republicans' obstruction. So, to me, the more conservative of a candidate that Obama nominates, the more ridiculous it makes the Supreme Court look, or I mean, makes the Senate look. And so. But you don't want to nominate somebody who's too conservative because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to push back. You know, there are certain things that Democrats are going to want to see in a Supreme Court justice. You know, somebody who's going to support the right to choose, somebody who's going to support, continue to support gay marriage rights, etc. <clears throat> so you're going to want to see that from a candidate, from a nominee. So, but I think that. Obama, if he nominates somebody to the right as possible, that he is going to expose hypocrisy, expose ridiculousness of the Republican Party, even more than if he were to nominate somebody on, who was leftist. And as such, you know maybe Sandoval is the best pick for that. Let's see if they're going to really block it or not. And maybe he could. I don't know what the what the rules are specifically on this. Does an appointment? Can Obama rescind an appointment at any time? Can Obama say, "I'm going to appoint this guy"? Let's see what happens. And if they decide to take him, because oh, you know what? I I I've changed my mind. I don't want to appoint him. Just to see what they do. I don't know if they can do that or not. Um, it's possible he could, but we'll see. But I still my still number one choice has to be Sandra Day O'Connor. Because without that, um, with that in play, you have the Republicans. You know, you know. I, I, while it's amusing to try and think of what the Republicans might say uh, for all of those who voted to support uh, somebody they that, that confirmed ninety-seven to nothing in twenty thirteen. What in these last two years could have changed their minds so much on him? That's one thing. But the other thing. And of course, the response is going to be, "Well, that's not the Supreme Court. Supreme Court's the final say." And you know, in the Supreme Court, we had Scalia to back us up. We don't know if this guy is going to back us up, so that could be their response. But I still think, at the end of the day, it's going to be a better choice if they pick. I would like to see Sandra Day O'Connor as the choice. I would like to see them have to explain why they're not going to support a Reagan-nominated court. So, anyway take a break real quick come back afterwards talk about more of the issues Three four seven eight three eight eight three six eight. 838 that's area code 347-838-8368 this is liberal day radio talk from the left that's right So check out BudgetEars.com or go to YouTube.com slash BudgetEars and help make your trip the best it can be. BudgetEars.com is not a travel agency and it is not affiliated with the Disney Corporation or any of its holdings. I am sick and tired of the propaganda in today's media. You know, we can't have a sane discussion about politics. Well, yes, you can, and it's on ROJS Radio Live with the girls, Monica R.W., and Autumn S. I'm there every week when they discuss Michigan and national politics, job search, unemployment, and more from an independent, laugh, sanity-based point of view. So, tune in, OJS Radio Live, Saturdays and Sundays at 11 a.m. sharp here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Hey, welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, it's area code 347-838-8368. is area code 347-838-8368. Uh, did look up real quick, and I didn't find it on judicial nominations, but um, in 1815, Madison named Henry Dearborn Secretary of War. Uh, so Madison moved to withdraw the nomination the day after its submission. But it came too late. The Senate voted to reject Dearborn, um, realizing that Madison was about to rescind the nomination. The Senate quietly erased it from its journal of record for these proceedings. So, if you know, it is possible that the president could kind of dangle a, they could dangle a um, nominee out there to see if they're going to be blocked, and, um, and if, they're, if they're not going to block, and they're going to actually, if they would do hearings for Sandoval, for example then he could say, all right, well, I changed my mind. I'm not really going to point him, but now that I've exposed to you that you're not going to just, that you're not going to, that you, that you don't have the uh, fortitude to follow through with your threats, now we're going to get to the real nominations. So it's possible that that could happen. Will he do that? I don't know. Do I recommend that he do that? Probably not. But <laughs> it would be an interesting game to play since there's already games being played here. Again, I really, you know, but I firmly stand for it that I think nominating Sandra Day O'Connor would be the best thing to do. Just because of the fact that I just really, really, really want to see Republicans in the Senate try and justify why they would block a Reagan appointee to the bench. That would just be funny. Another main topic I want to talk about tonight is the whole Republican nomination process. And I personally think... That especially the the people who are supporting the quote, uh, not the administration, but the the, it's the word I'm looking for that's been used all the time. <coughs> I'm having a brain fart. Anyway, um, you know the Jeb Bushes, the Rubios of the world, uh, the establishments of the Republican Party. They are, you know, I think they're making a mistake in strategy here. Because you have a situation where, um, if I guess the overall nomination process goes as this: if every state has their caucuses or their primaries, and in those situations, you have some states do winner take all, some states do proportional, some states do hybrid. South Carolina, for example, if South Carolina was interesting. Uh, you you could win you know, a certain amount of delegates for winning statewide. So you got the most votes statewide, regardless of your, um, you know, regardless of what percentage you got, you got all the statewide votes. But then you also have the opportunity if you win the most votes in each congressional district, you could then say, okay, I will... uh Get those votes, those those delegates, for me. But as it was getting towards the end of the day, at the end of the, you know, when they're counting the votes, Trump got everything. He won every single congressional district, plus uh, by default he then wins statewide. So he got everything. He he in, in a non-winner-take-all state, he took them all, which is bad news. But, you know, if you have, for example... Rubio had won one of the districts, he would have taken slices some away. Now, again, in a winner take all state, obviously, if Trump has a ceiling, then I'm guessing the argument by the by the not the the argument made by establishment type folks is that the more people get pushed out of the race, if Trump really has that ceiling, the other people can get those winner take all states, you know, the main candidates. But there are not every about half of the Super Tuesday states are winner take all states. The other room have other mechanisms that award them proportionally or in a hybrid way or what have you. So, and Trump's point here is is important too, where just because. Trump isn't their first choice. It doesn't mean that he's not their second choice. Now, some of them might be weird. Like if somebody skipped from Jeb Bush to Trump, that would to me seem kind of weird. But it's possible that you might have a, a candidate. You know, despite the fact that the Cruz campaigns and the, and the Trump campaigns have been getting along well, it's possible you might have people who would you know go from uh, anti-establishment Cruz campaign. By establishment Trump campaign before they went to an establishment Rubio campaign. So, and I think that's highly probable that that could happen, despite the fact that there's bad blood now between the two main candidates. So, what happens if, if you start pushing these people out? You know, you're, pl- you're 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 playing the risk that it that those people are going to go to you when they could go to Trump. And make his case even stronger. And maybe, you know, you have states coming up. You have Kasich, Kasich, who is Ohio, and he's actually losing Ohio right now. But you know, if the, if the establishment wanted to say, "Look, stopping Trump is the most important thing," I wouldn't be telling them to get out of the race. I'd be going to them and say, "Look." It's not looking good for any of you that are running against Trump for this nomination. So your goal right now as a Republican candidate should be to siphon every single vote away from Donald Trump as possible. Get every single delegate that you can away from him. So what does that mean? So, So you send Ted Cruz to Texas and have him focus on winning Texas. You send Marco Rubio to Florida. You have him focused on winning Florida. You send John Kasich to Ohio and have him focused on winning Ohio. And then you have other, you know, the campaigns. You have them working on those other states, trying to, you know, working the areas where you think you might be able to nab, you know, some people, you know, proportional-wise. I've read some things where, you know, if the population of a district is calculates generates the worst that that district is has for purposes of delegates. What does that mean? Well, it means is that let's take you know Maryland for example. Maryland has some gerrymandering going on, but you have some districts that have that are conservative, and then you have districts that are liberal. But the people voting within those liberal districts generate the same amount of delegates as the people voting in those conservative districts. Because, again, it's the districts that counts. It's not the amount of Republicans in that district that counts. So if you target those den- non-densely populated Republican or Democrat congressional districts for the Republicans that live in there, you could potentially get more bang for your buck. You, could, you don't have to get as, convince as many people to vote for you because those congress those, those delegates, you know, rep you know, those people voting for those delegates have basically more power than those ones in the in the more conservative districts. So that is a possibility of how some people could, you know, maybe smartly campaign and try and win more more delegates and siphon more delegates away from Donald Trump. So all of the let's say all of the conferences now are probably they become finished. If Donald Trump doesn't have the majority he needs to win on that first ballot, the delegates are released. You have a brokered convention and then all anybody could be chosen to be a Republican, which is why I don't understand. I understand from an embarrassment standpoint why Jeb Bush got out of the race. But I don't understand from a strategic standpoint Why Jed Bush got out of the race, because they they could pick anybody, the presidential nominee. I've heard people suggest that Mitt Romney, who's not even currently running, could be chosen by the Republicans in a convention, in a brokered convention, to be their nominee. You'd have a lot of backroom deals going on, you'd have a lot of so it's possible that Trump could have the most delegates, the most votes. But still, not get the nomination if he doesn't clear, if, if, if you get a brokered convention. And if I'm Jeb Bush, you know, and, and I've said this before, and I'll say this again when watching the debates on television, obviously, because I wasn't watching them on a radio, but when watching the debates on television, I, you know, the one thing that stood out amongst all of the candidates was that Jeb Bush presented himself as the most. Presidential. Yeah, you know, Rubio was always a little too a little nervous. He looks seems a little nervous. Cruz and Trump, Blowhards, Bullies, both of them are not presidential, feeling, looking, sounding at all. Uh, Christie was the tough guy, not necessarily the guy that you want as president. Um, Kasich, you know, to a lesser extent, I probably put him as the second most presidential on the stage uh, for those debates. But I think Jeb Bush was the most presidential. Again, this is not the say that I want him as president. I have shit, stretch the imagination. I don't want him as president at all. But I, I don't believe I do believe that he was the most presidential acting and behaving. So. You know, if he was stuck it out in his race you know, and gotten a brokered convention, then I think he he might have stood a chance of actually getting the administration to back him. And maybe if there is a brokered, maybe he can get a manage to get a brokered convention without running currently now and then push to be the guy at the end of the day. But by giving up on the race, he's more seeded that position to Rubio. So it could be I think it would be hard for him to try and explain now to the establishment why he instead of Rubio should be picked and supported as the establishment candidate for president in a brokered convention. So it's <clears throat> and, and and again i in I can see what people are talking about and Sabertooth in my chat room makes a makes a good point. The base wants of the president—that's so presidential. That is absolutely correct. But the base isn't really what shows up to a convention. Conventions will have basically party, you know, people are going to be running for these delicate, they run for these delicate positions. So it's more, it's people win these delegate selections, they are people who are more in tune to the party. They are the people who, who are more involved in the establishment. Even if they're supporting delegates who are not establishment, I think you're going to see a lot more establishment-leaning types. I mean, if you're an establishment type who's hoping for a brokered convention, you run for you run to be a delegate, if, you know, for somebody who is not establishment, and and then you're stuck with your vote if you, if you if you're pledged as a pledged delegate, you're stuck, you know, you're stuck with that person in the first round. But then once that rounds over, you can go over whoever the hell as you want. So I think you're more likely to see an establishment person in you know, this, in the role as a voting delegate in a broker convention. Um, now, I, and I do get the point that in those winner-take-all states, that the more people in running in those winner-take-all states is going to make it easier for Trump to win because he still has, even if he has a ceiling, it's still pretty high. It's high enough for enough people in the race and you're going to seed those races to him. But what I'm saying is that, they probably would have been smarter, you know, instead of having people pull out, have people go focused on those other races, and then try and siphon up as siphon off as many of those delegates as possible to make it mathematically impossible for anybody to get the the requisite number of delegates to get uh, a first ballot pick in their in their. Uh, Selection process in a brokerage convention. So that's that's pretty much my point with that. And and you know, and maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe maybe there is some logic to you know how, how wanting it to only be Rubio versus Trump. But I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I, Cruz isn't going to step aside to allow the Rubio to take his place. The kind of fighting that Cruz has done against Rubio. Is, you're not going to have him just have an epiphany and say, you know what, you know what? I'll just take one for the team and let... Because cause Cruz isn't really on the team. Cruz, Cruz is also anti-establishment. He's, he makes it a point to point out how anti-establishment he is. So Cruz is... is but he's not going to step aside for the establishment candidate to help the establishment candidate win. He wants to win. Um, and all of these people have big egos. Let me just put it that way. Um that and that's and it's to be expected. But if you're comparing the size of their individual egos, I'd probably put Cruz is up there as being rather high, you know, higher than, than even the norm of what a presidential candidate would be. Now, again, yeah, if you're a presidential candidate, if you think you have what it takes to lead a nation, you know, you need a big ego. You need to think highly of yourself. No one no one runs for president going, you know what, I really don't want to do this. But people around me say that I should, so I'm just going to do it for them. No, people want to be president because people want to be president. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with his going to be president. I'm just saying is that Cruz's ego is too big to for him to allow himself to fail. I don't think I don't think it's realistic for anybody to think that either one of these guys are going to step aside from the other one. Um, and at the end of the day, you know. If they, if they, they, their goal here, I don't think it's a realistic, um, and you know, as crazy as it sounds, Trump is the Republicans' best shot for the White House. And I believe that may very well be the case as well. Um, doesn't mean the Republicans have to like it. They might not want to have him anyway. Um, because oddly enough, I don't think Trump, I think Trump is kind of pandering to some of the people that are, uh. I think he's pandering to some of the people that are that are really conservative. I mean, he loves the evangelicals. He loves them. He loves everybody. I mean, it's a love fest when he wins. When he wins he talks about all the people. He loves the, the highly educated people. He loves the low educated people. So mm-hmm. he loves a lot of people. Um, and he loves the women. You know. He likes you know, he likes the men, he loves the women. Um, I I, I see that I mean, two two comments made in the chat by Sabretooth. Cruz has too much baggage. Rubio can't fire up the base. I I absolutely agree that Rubio can't fire up the base. Uh, is the baggage that you think Sabretooth, is that the uh, the him being born in Canada issue or is that something else? Uh, you know, I I'd, I I'd, I'd definitely like to know what 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 you believe the baggage is. Um, and when Saber Truth responds, I'll chime in with my opinion on that, but the, whatchamacallit, the, uh, um, it, it should be interesting to see, I mean, maybe it's Trump is there, yes, Cruz does have a crazy dad, that, that is correct. Um, I don't know, I don't know how much that's going to hurt him in the general election, I mean, um, I mean, I can't, I don't necessarily know who has had crazier dads. Um, now, the citizenship, I've discussed the citizenship on, on the show before, and um, I, I I do believe that he is a natural-born citizen. I know the people who are birthers who have certain opinions on what it takes to be a natural-born citizen, and it changes from day to day what a birther might think or what your generic birther might think uh. Re- is what was required for a natural born citizenship. I've seen people say it has to be on US soil. I've seen people say Does it doesn't matter if it's on US soil, it has to be two citizen parents. Um and some people have gone so far as to suggest that it have to be two citizen parents who were born on US soil. Which you could get a recursive algorithm there going just, you know, going and going and going. Um, but Basically, the day um, in 1790, the 1790 law that uh, discussed citizenship and naturalization, uh, that was it was passed by our founding fathers. I mean, very shortly after the Constitution was passed, they passed this law that said that if a person is born to a parent who is a citizen parent and it's outside of U.S. soil, that person shall be considered a natural born citizen. So, that to me is clear. It, it, that law is not in effect right now. It wasn't an effect when Cruz was born. But it, to me, clearly states, clearly shows that people who are our founding fathers believed that you could be born a natural-born citizen and not be born on U.S. soil. So there's nothing to suggest. Mother did um, cause her to give up her citizenship prior to um, giving birth to Cruz. So she was a citizen. She met all the requirements that the law required for citizens having children abroad for him to be a citizen at birth. That makes him a citizen at birth, and that is a natural-born citizen. Now, the point, another point that Timothy makes, is that um, he has a history of shutting down the government, and that's you know, the if the disdain for government um, that Republicans held uh, would hurt them in elections, none of them would be elected. So yes, he 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 will shut down the government to get his way. But I I don't know if that would necessarily hurt him in the general election. It may, I don't know. Um it's hard I, I think that would be a hard one hard to say because the people that like him and would support him are gonna be like, Yeah, he shuts for the government for the right reason. And the less government that more the government shut down, the less they can bother in our, involve themselves in our lives. And that's what a conservative at least I think would say. Another issue with Ted Cruz though Something I realized the other day, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, which is uh, mother's name on his birth certificate, is Eleanor Wilson. Now, I don't know how much of, if you follow comic books at all, um, and I don't really follow comics that much, but I do look up some information, information. there's a recent movie that came out, uh, Deadpool. Deadpool came out. Uh, The main character in Deadpool, who's Deadpool? He's his name is Wade Wilson. Wade Wilson has a daughter, whose name is Eleanor Wilson. Same name as Ted Cruz's mom. So Deadpool could very well be Ted Cruz's grandfather, and that would be interesting to say the least. So um <clears throat> and Ted Cruz is is kind of establishment, but you know, he's not enough of an establishment to where he can't justifiably uh, claim being anti-establishment. Um, I mean, I don't think any senator has endorsed him yet. That's, that's it's kind of hard for him to claim, you know, for, for 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 him to be an establishment candidate. And even if he is establishment, because he's got no traction and endorsements of Republican senators, I think the the voters who support him look at him and say, well, see, they're not supporting him. He must not be that much in the establishment if he is at all. Now, I do want to, we have about five minutes left. I do want to discuss one interesting thing, change of topic before I end the show. Because I like getting the show at nine. Um, I schedule an extra half hour just in case I have to go a, a little long. I don't know if I get winded talking, you know, get on a roll talking about something. Um, North Carolina redistricting, redistricting de- delay denied. Um, there was uh, lower court had ruled that. Uh, North Carolina had gerrymandered their districts too much, and that they would have to redraw the redraw the districts and redraw them soon. Now they wanted more time to be able to do it. Supreme Court said no, and this is the eighth vote. Supreme Court now saying no that you don't get more time. You don't. You do not get to delay it, and so they are now required to write up these districts. And there was no dissent from the order, so nothing from Thomas, nothing from Alito, nothing from Roberts, nothing from Kennedy. None of the conservatives were opposed, it. none of the liberals were opposed to it. So it seemed that everybody supported the idea that, at least in theory, that these that North Carolina's redistricting plan should have to um, go into effect. Now, what's interesting is that you know everything you need to know. About North Carolina's new quote of gerrymandering. So that's basically the key here is that they haven't eliminated gerrymandering in North Carolina. They have redrawn it, We re gerrymandered the district. So hopefully, because they basically said that these lines were made on purely racial lines and that isn't allowed. Same thing kind of happened in Louisiana. Louisiana tried to make a second minority seat by making a very weirdly drawn district, and and Supreme Court said no. This is, you can't just draw it on racial lines. Now, I don't know why, once Louisiana lost a seat, uh, the seat that's now the second congressional district goes from New Orleans to Baton Rouge, winding up the river. If that isn't gerrymandered, I don't know what is. And if it, it, it's clearly racial gerrymandering too. And now the people who, who were involved in a redistricting process made a, to me, what might be a reasonable argument in support of the redrawing of the, of the or the drawing of the lines that they did because they didn't want to be standing in violation of the of the remaining portions of the Voting Rights Act uh, that the Supreme Court didn't strike down. So there's, you know. So so if you if you don't want to write districts that if you don't want to make districts that are going to be in violation of the law. And make it may look like you're, not, you're disenfranchising, you know, black voters, for example, uh, you may <clears throat> you you may want to draw districts in such a way that makes sure that black voters do have a say and that do have representation in Congress. Because if if black voters represent, you know, forty percent or thirty, let's say black voters, I don't know what to make of North Carolina is, but let's say it's thirty percent, let's say it's twenty percent. Um, so if it's twenty percent, you can make it so that Black voters have, you know, 20% of the congressional seats. Black there are there are black representatives from from mostly black areas in 20%. Or you could redraw the lines to make sure that there are no black representatives in Congress. Don't get any representation. That's what gerrymandering is all about: redrawing lines to make it your way. And unfortunately, you know that's that's why I think it has to be <clears throat> stopped. So the redistricting, the mark. Because of the redist- redistricting, the March 15th primary, which was to include all states' races, including the president's promise, no longer includes the congressional districts, meaning a new primary date has to be set. There's uh, lots of confusion, apparently, in the state. if um, 12 let's see, somebody tweeted, F-12 LG race, r 151 percent 49.9% rerun these congressional districts, R's 110 and D's 3. Um so basically, what they're saying is that it's possible that they very well, well, they very well may have created a situation like in like in Pennsylvania. So see, the Democrats say that the maps look better than they used to, but they argue that the partisan makeup of North Carolina's slate in Congress should be changed as well. The map certainly looks better, but the fact is that it's a slap in the face of the voters of North Carolina, who've made it very clear they want competitive districts. They're putting they're certainly putting their will ahead of North Carolina voters who want to pick the representatives, not have representatives pick them. That's the key. So you have a situation where you have these, you know, you're gonna have a situation like in Pennsylvania, where Democrats won Pennsylvania in twenty twelve, but yet only won five of eighteen congressional districts, because at the end of the day, in twenty ten, they redraw the districts in such a way to make sure that this district that this that these seats were not competitive districts so, you know, you disproportionate representation in Congress, which has created a situation where you know you're basically now having the Senate being chosen by the vote, by the mass by the masses, and you have the houses the House of Representatives being chosen by the legislature, you basically have a flip situation from what it used to be. But it's even worse because if this, you don't you, – in the Senate because you don't have split up House now. You now have – if Republicans control the – or charge state, you have Republicans, you know, a Republican or Republican get chosen to be a senator. And then you'll have – if the Republicans are controlling the legislature, Republicans will be most of the people sent up to Washington, even though it doesn't adequately represent the remaining people in the state. And it could be the first that it happens to. What happens in the diverse – to stop, which is why I support uh, eliminating congressional districts altogether, as crazy as that might initially sound, um, and getting moving to a slate system where you vote on slates of candidates and you can re- you can draw if you want. Um, let's, say, let's say there are 10 congressional districts. If that slate wins 10% of the vote, then that's the top candidate on that slate gets the seat. And if that slate gets 20% of the votes, then the top two, get says, hey, we're representing New Orleans, if you're in Louisiana, and then, you know, if the, where you are living in the state is the most important thing, then, well, that's what you make your slate to be. And if you wanna make it on an issue, let's say your issue is abortion, you wanna make a pro-choice slate, you wanna make a pro-life slate, um, you know, you make those two. If those slates do well, then you get the, that candidate, top candidate, if 10%, and so on. If you're a ten, this, you're getting a, each slate gets a proportion of the seats, and the order in which the slate was selected. So to me, that would be the best way to select con, con congressman, because point, you know, understand. Back in the seventeen, we have a district, you know, a person represent a district. Geographical area because you know they go to Congress, they do the work of the people, or, or at least they're supposed to. They leave Congress and they come back home, and it's their responsibility to go talk to people in a district. And they didn't have the internet, they didn't have phones, they didn't have. It was much harder for people to get together and talk about these things. Whereas nowadays, even though we're a very big nation, very very large areas, you the internet has made it just so small that you don't need and, and you know tr- mass transportation planes. Cars, trains, buses, any other forms of transportation that, that exists today, make these larger areas look down. And that's such, you don't necessarily have to worry about the fact that oh well, damn, um, that person, those people are all over there. Why shouldn't those people, you know, let's say if you have some liberals in North Northeast Louisiana, why shouldn't they be you know, vote for the Democratic ticket in, in the Democratic panel representing New Orleans if that's what they feel is the best panel that represents them in Congress? To me, that would be the best thing to do. Um, and I should probably devote more time on a future show about it uh, to try and actually get into the specifics on how it would work. Without sitting down and putting pen to paper on it would be the idea that, you know, okay, so you have, you know, let's say you have two slides and there's 30% of the vote or, and there's three votes. And one plate like, gets 16, one plate like, gets 14%. Does that 16% get uh, get two? Maybe. You know, how does it work? How, do, how, do, how does it work if you're in if you're in that position where you have where you're at, you know, the mid levels? You can't guarantee that you're going to get exactly 10% if you have, you know, you can't, you can't guarantee that you're going to get the exact percentage you need to get whole votes. So what do you do with partial votes? Let's say there's, you know. If there's one and three quarters and one and three quarters and a half, you know, that is three, quarters and, one quarters is three and a half and four. So that's four total seats. Um, does the one and three quarters get two and the half get none or what? Because at this point you have three people with more than, you know, you have two seats. And you have the remaining, it would be hard for me to, you'd have to draw something up. Something would have to be clearly drawn up in a way that would would talk about how to handle those situations, those half seats. And I'm sure there is a way to work it out, but I haven't gotten that far in my plan. Because I don't think it's a a reality. I don't think it's something that's going to happen because I think that without a major uprising of people basically saying, look, this is what we want. Um, And I think it would probably have to happen on a state-by-state basis. You probably have to have one state going, hey, this is how we're going to do our, elect- our seats now. And then some other states could be like, hey, this is how we're going to do it, too. This is how we're going to avoid gerrymandering, and so on and so forth. There may be enough states to do it to where you then get a constitutional convention going on and saying, okay, now we have a constitutional convention. Just congressional seats will be chosen that instead of that way. And that's the way you do it. You probably have to do it. But it would take a long time. So it's a pipe dream of mine. Will it happen? Probably not. But I'd like to see it happen. I think it would be much better. And it would actually put the House of Representatives back to the will of the people. um, The will of the legislature who draws the maps. So anyway, I'm going to go ahead and end the show now. I want to thank people for uh, listening, participating in the chat. Definitely appreciate it. Uh, Tune in next week, 8 p.m. Central blog talk radio I'll be back on more of these issues discussing uh, more of the primaries that will be coming up Super, you know, there there is definitely a primary coming up next week we'll be discussing those you can follow me on twitter at liberal band radio uh, you can follow me on facebook facebook.com and i was at liberal band and, uh, is liberal so next week i zimmerman with liberal band radio come from the left that's right